The following sermon is by Hunter Hayes, Associate Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Hunter. Well, I have the pleasure of helping you all to dust off an old corner of your Bibles that may not receive a lot of love. I'm guessing that nobody has any, uh, you know, favorite memory verses from this book that we're about to study together. But I trust that our time together will be profitable nonetheless. And, uh, hopefully I'll be able to share a little bit of how I've been blessed studying this passage that Josh asked me to preach. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And when you get there, since that's a little bit more familiar, just take a left turn and we'll be in Philemon today. So that's how you find Philemon, okay? That's how you find Philemon. Another, another way you can find it is, you know, you know what they say about that guy Philemon, right? He bruised James. So that's, you know, if, if you're talking about like how to memorize the order of the books in the Bible. Yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to study a book that is literally just one chapter and kind of like the book of Jude that our pastor preached through a few months ago. And let's dive in. Verse 1 of Philemon says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So it's another letter from Paul. We're going through Ephesians right now. We have been uh, for the past several weeks. And we've heard his letter to the Ephesian church. This one is written to Philemon, as we see in verse 1. Who is Philemon, you might ask? Well, we can ascertain some details uh, just by doing some cross-referencing. So there are a number of names that are mentioned here in the opening of the letter and as well as, well, actually not in the opening of the letter, but uh, later on as Paul is sending greetings and also one particular man who's very significant in this letter, a man by the name of Onesimus in verse 10. He also shows up in Colossians chapter 4 where Paul has something to say about Onesimus. He says that he is sending to the Colossian church uh, Tychicus, who is bearing the letter, and he also sends with him in Colossians 4.9, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation there. So when Paul writes to the Colossians and he says that Onesimus is one of your number, um, he means that he's part of that church. So, you know, it looks like, apparently at least, that Paul is writing this letter to members of the Colossian church. And Philemon himself ends up being one of the members of the church at Colossae. So you can imagine that if you go and read Colossians and you see all the wonderful things that God has to say to that church. And he also, of course, asks that it be read in other churches and Laodicea and so forth. Um, but it was particularly written to Colossae. And we see that uh, certain members of that church are also included in this letter to Philemon in the opening. Um, we also discover more details as we just open these first two verses. Um, so this is a good encouragement to you when you're reading epistles. Uh, don't just skip over the greetings and salutations. You know, pay attention. See what can be known. Um, oftentimes, if you have a study Bible or something like that, there might be an introduction that will help you uh, be able to discern these details a little bit quicker. Um, but... Uh, these are just some of the things that we're picking up as we as we get into the letter that will help us as we try to um, understand the meaning that is conveyed in the in the future verses. 
So verse 1 to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Believe it or not, these are significant terms that Paul is using. He's not just, uh, well, he is building rapport, but he's not simply just throwing out whatever nice term comes to mind. I think he's being very intentional, and we'll see that uh, later on in this uh, in our study today. So we see verse 2. Um, a couple other names are mentioned. We have Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So along with Philemon, whom the letter is named for, we have these other individuals are mentioned, and uh, we notice a couple things. Well, first of all, our, Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, we're not exactly sure what their relation is to Philemon, but it's easy to imagine that Athea might be Philemon's wife, perhaps, and Archippus may be related. Is he his son? Um, something along those lines. Um, I would imagine he is somewhat... Uh, somewhat grown, probably not a, a young kid, as it were, because Colossians 4, verse 17, again, I'm cross-referencing Colossians 4, 17, Paul says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So Paul is actually directly calling out Archippus in Colossians and telling him to take hold of the ministry that he's been called to and to fulfill it. And furthermore, he calls Archippus our fellow soldier. So Archippus seems to be uh, working for the gospel in some way. We don't know exactly what that way is. Um, but then the next verse, or the next part of the verse, rather, I think is significant. He says, and to the church in your house. So putting, all to, putting together all the pieces that we have so far, it's not a stretch to imagine, perhaps, that the Colossian church meets in Philemon's home. Okay, we know that there were a lot of house churches in the first century, and uh, it's quite possible. And so we imagine that Philemon probably is, is somewhat well-to-do. At least he has a, a house that's big enough uh, to host a church. And we see that he is a, a, a giving man, a generous man, if he's opening up his house. Uh, scripture calls us to be hospitable as Christians, and Philemon seems to be checking off that box very well. So... I would say, you know, right out of the bat, Philemon seems to be someone who is commendable and praiseworthy, and we should certainly take that to heart, especially since Paul is calling him a beloved brother and fellow worker, fellow worker with Paul. And then Paul has his customary greeting, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's verses one through three. And then we get to verse four. Oh, and... and Mark you, we might be a little different in terms of what I'm reading versus what you're reading, because I'm reading the NASB today. And there's a reason for that you'll see in a moment. New American Standard Bible, that's what the NASB is. Uh, verse 4, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Let me read that again in the ESV. I'm just going to read verse 6 now. So if you're following along in the Pew Bible, this will match. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. 
And this is where the meat of today's sermon is going to come from. These, these three verses, four through seven, four, four verses, I guess. Let me just tell you, before we set out on this voyage together, let me just freely admit that I don't know what this means. Hope you're, uh, you're feeling nice and confident, right? <laughs> and there's a reason for that. And, and what I mean by that is I, I'm not 100% confident, so I'm going to present uh, what I think Paul is saying here. But I know that uh, it's possible he could be saying something similar or a little bit different. The reason I'm not sure is because this verse is difficult to determine and interpret what it means. Uh, the Greek is pretty vague. Um, and actually, it's universally agreed by all the commentators that this is chapter or verse six is the most obscure reference in the book of Philemon. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, if God can't communicate to us clearly, how can we be sure that we know what the Bible is really saying? Or you might be tempted, as some of the postmoderns have concluded, that we can't be sure of what anything means, because language is too imprecise for us to really know with 100% certainty what somebody means when they communicate something. And let me just encourage you, before you go down that rabbit hole, there are many, many clear passages in the Bible. God does speak to us clearly. And there are some passages, such as the one we're looking at today, where it's not as clear, especially on the surface, but if you do a little bit of digging, you're at least going to be enriched in the process of digging. And hopefully, you get to the bottom and you, you strike gold. Have you ever been driving close to sunset or maybe in the morning and you get to a stoplight and the sun is at just an angle that you can't really tell what, the, what color the light is flashing? Is it red? Is it green? Is it yellow? You might not know. In that moment, you got to make a decision. Are you going to go? Are you going to stop? What are you going to do? Well, if you can't tell what the light is, you usually will revert to other contextual features, such as, is anybody else stopping? That's, that's a good one. Or, you know, is there another car going through the intersection that I'm about to hit? Or is there someone walking across the street, right? These are uh, judgments you make in a split second as you're driving, and, you know, if we were just going to say, oh, you know, it's impossible to tell what the meaning is, boo-hoo, I'm just going to go home, you could just stop your car, get out, you know, throw the keys in, and walk away frustrated, right? We don't have to do that, okay? We can actually, we can actually try and, and try our best and see what the Lord will do with that. I have a picture up here of Fred Wells. He's pointing to the spot where he found, well, he's, he's a mine inspector, okay? That'll, that'll tell you where this is going. Uh, in 1905, he was doing a routine inspection of the Colonin mine, uh, mine in uh, Pretoria, South Africa, just a little bit outside of Pretoria. And he saw something shimmering in the sunlight, so he walked up to see what it was, and he confirmed his suspicion, pulled out his pocket knife, and he pulled out 
a diamond the size of his fist. It is the largest rough-cut gem that's ever been discovered, the Colonnan diamond. And uh, what an amazing discovery. He obviously brought the photographers back to show them. This is the spot. X marks the spot. I don't know if you can see it clearly, but there's an X up there. And the reason I put this up there is just to remind you that, you know, we, we go in search of hidden treasures in the earth. In fact, sometimes it requires moving actual mountains to get to them, to get to the, the depths and the riches that are found beneath. And Psalm, 1, Psalm 119, 127 says, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. So what we're about to do today is going to require a little bit more um, mental strength, perhaps, than we're used to with a sermon, okay? Josh packages his sermons so nicely. I could learn from him in many ways. Um, I'm going to take you deep today, hopefully, and we're going to really knuckle in to the passage. But here's what I hope. I hope we will come out with a diamond that's worth excavating for. Okay, so let's start with this. Philemon, verse 6, I'm showing you the different translations here just to show what I'm saying, that the Greek here is not easy to translate. So the ESV says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective, and the New American Standard Version says that I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective, and the New International Version says, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. Actually, I think I flipped those. That's the, that's the NASB, and the NIV is the partnership. Um, but anyways, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective, and the King James Version says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. So which one is it? These all kind of have some overlap in meaning, but they're all a little bit different. You see? See what I'm talking about? I think the best way to understand this is to put it in its full Context. So we're just going to break it down. All right, let's read this again. I'm reading from the the New American Standard Bible because I think overall this is this has given me the best sense based on studying the Greek uh, intensely this week. I think this is what I think the NASB represents it well, and I'll explain as we go. So Philemon four through seven. Let's read that again. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So the first thing Paul does as he considers Philemon and he uh, he wants to address him, uh, what he says about him, like he opens many of his letters, it's, it's thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving and prayer. When he thinks about Philemon, he thanks God always every time that he makes mention of Philemon in his prayers. So we have the act of thanksgiving. Uh, Paul is giving thanks for Philemon. And then we have the circumstance for thanksgiving, which is I'm thanking God, when I pray for you, when I pray about you, uh, my prayers are filled with thanksgiving. Have you ever prayed for somebody else? What do your prayers usually look like? Maybe you pray for their salvation. Maybe you uh, pray for someone to do well on a test in school. Um, maybe you pray for somebody's safety. Do you ever just thank God for someone? 
Paul is thanking God for Philemon. That's the first thing we need to know. Uh, this is also, I think, part of the circumstance of thanksgiving, is Paul is giving thanks because he's hearing of the love and faith which he has toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, this is significant for us because, again, we, we know Philemon is a believer. He's called a beloved uh, f- fellow worker. And he's also here characterized as someone who has faith. Faith in what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that he has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he's a Christian. It's not just anybody that Paul is writing to. He's writing to someone who is a, a fellow believer and a fellow co-worker, someone who is, uh, is going to refresh his heart um, being in that, uh, that position. But notice the, the order of words, and this is, this is true in the Greek as well as in the English, it actually starts with your love. So first he says, because I hear of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So your love is pointing towards all the saints. You may, you might ask, well, isn't his, isn't it his love for Jesus? And yes, it could be, but at least the way it's worded, it's, it, it doesn't seem natural to take it that way because Paul is hearing of the love and faith which he has toward the Lord Jesus and toward the saints. We don't also say that he had faith in the saints. No, he has faith in Jesus. So why is, why does he do it this way? Well, it's a, this would have been very common in the, in the Hebrew Bible, in, um, the, the way Paul is used to communicating, um, the way God does things. It's, it's a chiasmus, okay? So what's important is on the outside. Or at least what's significant, what Paul is getting at, is on the outside. The love, it starts and ends this phrase, right? I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So the reason you have to have love on the outside and faith on the inside is because they do go together. Absolutely, they go together. And this is significant for, for us as Christians. When we come to faith in Jesus, yes, of course, we love the Lord Jesus, and we ought to, but it also produces in us love for the saints. Believing in Jesus produces love for the people of Jesus. At least it ought to. And this is something that is characteristic of Philemon's life. He is known for having love for other Christians. And Paul is going to bring this up, again, at the beginning of the letter, because he's going to be making a request to him. And he's he's getting him ready for that request right now. All right, so now we move on to the content of Paul's prayer for Philemon. He says, and I pray that. In the Greek, that is not there. The end, I pray that. This is the New American Standard Version assisting us because it is correctly taking the way uh, the Greek is laid out based on participial and uh, uh, syntactual. I don't know if that's a word, syntactual. Uh, the, the clues of the syntax. It's, it's valid is what I'm saying. This is the content of his prayer. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective. And this is where I spent most of my time studying. Because as you saw, 
when I showed you all the various translations, it, it varies, right? Some say the sharing of your faith, which if you just read the, the ESV, again, I'll, I'll read it for you. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Well, that could mean, you know, I'm sharing my faith. I'm, I'm sharing the gospel. Uh, this is something that we, we do want to pray for people to do. We want to pray that they will share the faith actively. Um, I, Josh and I pray that for you all the time. That, uh, that Emmanuel will be a church where we are actively seeking to evangelize the lost. Okay, so some people actually do even take what Paul is saying here in the evangel, in the, in the evangelistic sense of sharing faith, right? This is the, the content of Paul's prayer. Now, why I prefer the New American Standard version, I'm going to explain, and this is where it gets really in the weeds, okay? So you're just going to have to follow with me, and I hope it's exciting. Um, if not, maybe, you know, maybe I'm just a nerd and nobody cares. But anyways, <laughs> I pray that the sharing of your faith, what is, like, what's the best way, or, or how do we understand this? So first of all, What's translated sharing of your faith in the ESV and fellowship of your faith is the word koinonia in the Greek. And if you, if you have a little bit of understanding of uh, Greek in the New Testament, um, or maybe you've just heard the pastor say it before, koinonia is a word that is typically translated fellowship, um, in, in various places in the New Testament. Um, we don't have to give the same translation every time we see this word because it can be used in different senses. So it's not wrong for somebody to see this as sharing. In fact, you can already see fellowship has something to do with sharing, doesn't it? We all have fellowship with one another. We all share faith in Christ. We share good times together, right? We, we participate in ministry together. Um, these are all uh, closely related terms. Um, but the reason I think that fellowship is, is helpful, or actually it, on this specific verse, I think the NIV gets it right when it says participation. The reason I think that is because I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about. He's talking about um, partnership, which is a very valid way to interpret this. In fact, if you go to the sources, if you go to um, even extra-biblical texts, sometimes it helps to go beyond just what we have in the bible in terms of understanding the meaning of words we see that the 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 term partnership is a good way to encapsulate this word koinonia um it's used oftentimes in secular literature or writings to talk about partnerships between individuals okay and the reason i i like that contextually is because Paul has, first of all, opened the letter saying that Philemon is his fellow worker. So he's already kind of establishing this, you know, you and I are in this together sort of mentality. But then he's also going to make a big request to him for, in verse 10, I, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And he's he's actually going to ask him to receive Onesimus back. And who was Onesimus? Well, it becomes clear as we read the rest of the sermon, uh, the rest of the letter, that Onesimus is probably a household slave of Philemon. And when you heard me say the word slave, you might have perked up and go, said, "What is this? What's going on? This guy's a Christian and he owns slaves." Um, 
you know, we'll get into it hopefully in future sermons. I'm not going to spend too much time on this today, but slavery was very common in the ancient world, and it was not purely race-based like the slavery that we're all familiar with as we think about um, even things that have happened in this country, okay? I'm not going to go into detail on it because um, this letter actually gives us the framework, I think, for um, being able to refute uh, the idea of slavery. Um, but nonetheless, Paul is going to ask Philemon to... Um, to receive Onesimus back and to forgive him, and with even the implication, I think, of perhaps releasing him from slavery. But this is all for a point. Look at verse 17. Paul says, If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. That word partner is koinonon. As I say that, you can probably hear the similarity between koinonia and koinonon. Yes, they're derived from the same word. It's the same idea. So Paul, here in the letter, is using the same term to talk about partnership. And he's saying, look, if you actually do regard me as a partner, I want you to do what I am asking you to do. So it then makes sense, I think, if we look at Philemon verse 6, where Paul is saying, I pray that the, the fellowship, that the, the partnership of your faith may become effective. So, so what does that actually mean? Well, partnership of faith. What is this? What is partnership of faith? I think it's, it's the common faith that we share in. Go back to, to verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Why is he a prisoner? Why is he in prison? He's in prison at Rome, probably, because he was sharing the gospel. God radically transformed Paul's life, led him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and sent him out to declare the gospel. He went into synagogues. He proclaimed the truth. He got into debates. He, um, he offended people because he told the truth. And he wound up in prison because he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner on behalf of Christ Jesus. You see, he's serving the Lord and he winds up in jail. And so by saying we have this partnership of faith, he's just reminding Philemon, look, you're in this too. We're in this together. We are, we are believers in Christ Jesus who rose from the dead. And you should be assisting me in what I'm doing. He's calling him to faith. Now, just a word on this, application-wise. You know, I really don't like when people uh, hear that I'm a pastor and they, they kind of lump me in this category of, oh, you're a man of faith, you know, just like, just like all the other people of faith in the world or something like that. Um, or, you know, when you hear in the news, like, oh, you know, this tragedy happened at a mosque and uh, this is a tragedy that all people of faith can relate to or something like that. Um, not that we shouldn't, of course, our hearts shouldn't go out to tragedies that happen to anyone. Yes, that's true. But this idea that um, anybody who has some sort of faith in, in God's existence or something like that, that we all uh, share something that is, is unique to us, that bonds us together— um, you know, I, I really want to put to death the idea that this is uh, something that we should really care about as Christians. 
especially when you consider what's going on in faith in the New Testament, right? So it's not just about our vague agreement about God's existence and basics of what he is and what he's like. It's faith in the person and work of Jesus. Faith that he died and rose again. Faith that he sent us to a lost world that's dying without hope. And faith that would make us willing to become prisoners and be happy in that if it meant that the gospel was spreading because of it. That's faith that I think is worth believing. And faith that's worth laying everything down for. And faith that's going to lead you to do the kind of things that Paul's going to ask Philemon to do. He's going to ask him to do something that is not inconsequential in his life. It would have been a, an economic burden on him to release someone who was in his service. So, partnership of faith is what Paul is talking about here, I, I believe. And then what does it mean that the, the partnership or the fellowship of your faith may become effective? Again, this is tough. This is tough. And I think this is why some of the translations vary so much even on the fellowship thing. What does it mean that your fellowship may become effective or that your partnership may become effective? Well, this is one where I'm taking some liberties here just in personal translation because I have not found a translation that I love perfectly. And that's very dangerous, okay? But I'm going to try to explain to you why I'm doing this. I think what Paul is really saying here, I mean, I'm just going to summarize it, okay? I think he's saying, Philemon, I'm praying that your faith is going to be put into action. That this partnership that we share of faith, that you're actually going to, uh, you know, put uh, rubber to the road. Like, show me some action now in this partnership. It's, it's good to talk about the faith that we have and the love that we share, but I'm going to actually ask you to be active now in your faith and do something that's significant. Now, I have warrant for doing this, okay? Because the word that's translated as effective is energes. And in Hebrews 4, chapter 12, we see the same word. In fact, this word only appears three times in the New Testament. One time it's in Philemon. One time it's in Hebrews. One time it's in 1 Corinthians 16.9. In Hebrews 4, Verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That word translated active is the same word, energes. Okay? So it's an, it's an adjective, uh, describing something and, uh, basically it's, it's showing what your capability is. Uh, it's, it's showing power. It's, it's activity. Okay? Now the reason I think that he's really saying, I pray that your, the fellowship of your faith may become active is, you know, for one, I just explained to you why I think it makes sense that he's asking him to um, actually put some action to his faith. Uh, think about what James tells us about faith, that faith without works is dead, right? Of course, we do believe that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That is believing in Christ for salvation and receiving the gift of salvation. Um, but uh, if you're a believer... If you really believe these things are true, it's going to manifest itself in how you behave. There's going to be action that goes along with it. It's not just assenting to something. It's actually believing in something so much that you're actually willing to follow through with what you believe and live consistently with it, right? So I think that's what Paul is asking him to do. 
There is a similarity, believe it or not, in verse 2, actually verse 1, and I'm not the first one to point this out, okay? I'm, I'm not the first one to notice this, but I think it's pretty cool. So when Paul calls Philemon a fellow worker, the word that he uses there is sunergo. Sunergo, fellow worker. Soon is the prefix, which means with, and ergo is work. Soon, ergo, fellow worker. The word that he uses in verse 7 is energes, but as it so happens in the way that Paul constructed the syntax of this sentence, the word that comes before energes is su, which means you. And it sounds, su energes sounds like sunergo a little bit, okay? Sunergo, fellow worker, su energes. So, again, I think this is perhaps a connection to Paul's overall argument. Look, we're fellow workers in this, and I'm even going to use words that sound similar to point out that what I'm asking you to do is to manifest this, this faith that we share, this fellow work that we, that we are both um, participating in. I'm in prison in chains. You're hosting a church in your home. This is all wonderful. And now I want you to really display what this faith looks like in personal relationships. So this is the content of his prayer. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may, may become effective, may become active, I think. And then, what is it? Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. Here's where I'm a little torn, because I don't know if he's saying, I hope that you're going to put this faith into action by knowing all the good things that are in us through Christ. We all have Christ in us. Um, as we come to faith, we are baptized into one spirit, as Paul will argue in the letter to the Corinthians. Or, I don't know if maybe he's saying, I'm, I'm asking you to do this knowing in my mind that there is all this good in you through Christ who is in you. Where I lean, and I am open to correction, is that he's saying, I'm asking this knowing, like he himself, Paul, knows that this good is in him because Christ is in him. I'm asking you to manifest this, this good deed, which I'm about to ask you to do, because this is in you as a Christian. And isn't that, isn't that a wonderful thought? And it, it certainly coheres with what we know about other things Paul says about Christianity. I mean, we read um, Ephesians 1. Our pastor unpacked it for us beautifully about all the things that we have in Christ. We have the Spirit dwelling in us. We're, we're new creations. Um, our eyes have been opened, and we actually even have the opportunity now to live for Christ and to, um, to, to do all these wonderful things, to love our brothers and sisters um, the way we ought to. And so the, this whole thought of, you know, manifesting our faith through our works and through our actions, and just thinking about the situation, too, where Paul is a prisoner, and he's the most cheerful prisoner I've ever heard of, because he actually in Philippians, he rejoices that the gospel is being preached, even if it is done to spite him, because he says, you know, I, I rejoice all the more because the gospel's going out. It makes me think about, like, you know, what do our lives look like? Are we engaged in the same fight as Christians? 
Are we seeking to make Christ known? Are we amped up when we see the preacher go out and preach a great sermon because we know that the Holy Spirit is probably convicting people? We see him convicting our own lives. My challenge for us is let's move on from being fellow onlookers in life to fellow workers like Philemon. Let's move from being fellow tourists just enjoying the scenery to fellow soldiers. And let's move from being fellow lollygaggers to like-minded laborers. So the reason this is in blue, for I have had great joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother, is because this is Paul resolving the thought now. He opened up saying, I thank my God. I'm just filled with thanksgiving for you, brother, when I remember you in my prayers. And I pray specifically that the partnership of your faith will become effective. And then he just concludes, this is, this is the reason or the, the conclusion of his, his thanksgiving for Philemon. For I have had great joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So he's, he's talking to Philemon and Paul has some sort of association, something that Philemon has done. Perhaps it's just a reputation of loving the brothers, perhaps in his church. Um, perhaps he's, if he is a wealthy man, perhaps he's given a lot to missions and we know, because Paul is saying right here, that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through him. And so Paul is saying, look, my heart is refreshed because I see the saints all around being refreshed in your love, brother. And without getting into too much detail and preaching the next sermon, which talks about what Paul's going to ask him to do, which is to love and forgive Onesimus, it's just worth noting that Christian love transcends social class. In fact, it, it transcends any kind of barrier that you could imagine there might be in the church to people loving each other and, and really caring about each other's lives, okay? So uh, people who are old love people who are young because they are both Christians. We both have this in common, right? We both believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We both follow him. We both want to serve him. People who are rich love the poor. Um, there's no uh, racial wars in the church, at least there ought not to be, because, why? Because we have this Christianity um, in common. It's a love that's not based on, a, on affinity. Okay, I want you to grasp this. There are many other social groups that you can go to in Raleigh for things that you all, you all like, you know, you all like yoga or I don't, I don't know why I picked that example because I don't think anyone here likes yoga. <laughs> Maybe it's CrossFit. I know some people here who like CrossFit. Basketball, you know, if you want to be, go, go be part of a social club where you can all talk about how much you love basketball, that's great. Christian love is not a love based on affinity. It's a love based on identity. We are new creatures in Christ. We, we have Christ in us. That is why we just can't get enough of each other. But consider the words of 1 John 3, 8. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Okay, so bringing it all together, what does this passage teach us? Well, I think it teaches us that we need to put our faith into action. As believers, 
right? We believe in Christ. We believe that he laid down his life to serve us. In fact, he actually was so clear as to tell the disciples that as I have laid down my life for you, so you lay down your life for one another. He, he got down and washed their feet. And he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We need to have the kind of love that we've been loved by Christ for each other. Okay, this teaches us to embrace the partnership of faith with other believers. Okay, so we're, we, we are partners with other Christians. And this also draws a line between us and everybody outside the world. I'm not saying not to love people who aren't Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. We need to love them. We need to go to the, the world in love and share the truth with them. But we need to have a special kind of love that is to another degree for other believers in Christ because we are all engaged in the same fight. And then we also need to remember the gospel when we think about how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. I love the parable where Jesus, where Jesus talks about um, the, the, the man who owed a ton of money right, to his master, and uh, he couldn't pay it back. It was an insurmountable debt, and his, his master forgave him the debt and said, you're forgiven. And then that same man went, and he had a, a smaller debt, much smaller, that somebody else owed him, and he treated him harshly and put him in prison. When he came back to the master, the master said, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? I just forgave you this debt, and now you're, you're holding it out to this guy who owes you a lot less? That's a lesson for us, right? Think about what Christ has forgiven you of. Can you forgive your brother or sister in Christ? And then this passage also, I think, teaches us to realize that our actions and our attitudes can commend or defame the gospel. Notice that Paul is saying that this, this love of, of Philemon, it, you know, it's, it's powerful because it's it's refreshing the hearts of the saints, this gospel love. That might even be the sense of, of what it means for it to become effective. Paul may want it to be something that, that actually has effect on the church. In fact, this might even be why Philemon is in our Bibles, because it shows the power of Christian love. It shows the beauty of the gospel when it's worked out in Christian relationships. And then finally, two more things. Two more things that are, I think, we can take from this passage. Paul knows that there's all this goodness in Philemon because of Christ, because he's in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, you can find the power to forgive others, to love others in Christ as well. This is a resource to you. You've been baptized into Christ if you know him if you believe in him, and you can draw strength from the Savior of the world who was pierced on the tree and while he was being crushed said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You can find strength in your Savior to love as he loved. And you can find power, actual power, to love sacrificially through his Spirit who's dwelling in you. I think I'm out of time. But here's the colon and diamond. Rough cut gem, largest. It was 3,106 carats. That's a lot. That's more carrots than I usually eat at dinner. 
This is it when it's cut into several pieces. And the largest one there is the one that is in uh, the king's scepter, kept with the crown jewels in the Tower of London, believe it or not. It's known as the Star of Africa. So hopefully one thing, if nothing else, that you gained is that when we encounter a passage like this in Scripture that's not easy to understand, let's dig in. Let's dig in hard because there are some real gems for us to find. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for the love of Christ that is our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God, that's what got us started in our relationship with you. That's what keeps us going. Lord, we love because you first loved us. And if you didn't love us, Lord, we would never know you or care about you. God, thank you that you gave yourself sacrificially with one act that we could never repay, no matter how many good things we did. And Lord, thank you that that love can motivate us and can strengthen us to show love to our brothers and sisters. The redeemed of Christ, the ones that you gave your life to save, just like you saved us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be softened, that we would walk in love as the apostle commands us to do, and that we would do this through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the strength that Christ provides. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Hunter Hayes, Associate Pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.